Well, our uh, second reading uh, is from Luke uh, chapter 18. Uh, in many of the uh, church Bibles, it will be on uh, 1000 and page 1097. And uh, it's, Jesus is, is travelling with his uh, disciples and uh, this, is, this is a parable which he gives. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast once a week and give a tenth of what I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that the man, that man rather than the other went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Bill. Well, friends, let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray this morning that you would speak to all of us. That we would indeed cry out to you this morning. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. And use me as an instrument in your hands this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, um, this morning we are going to look at uh, Luke chapter 18, which is our text today on, on, this, on this parable. Uh, have you ever tried to impress someone? Or tried to impress someone? Uh, it could be that you tried to impress perhaps your boss at work. You come up there early, you rock up early, you try to uh, do your work well and make a great impression on your boss at work. Or perhaps your teacher at school, you are the teacher's favorite because you run to your teacher, you help your teacher carry the bag, whatever she or he is carrying, and you try to impress your teacher. Or perhaps any young guys here trying to impress a young lady, what would you do? I mean, some of you have uh, watched the recent show, the, the Bachelor and all of that kind of stuff, right? Uh, the bachelor, bachelorette, all these shows, guys and women trying to impress each other, or perhaps uh, you know, just as uh, as friends, you're trying to impress uh, your friends or a girl, you're trying to impress your guy. Well, many of us may have done this, perhaps at some point or another in our lives. I suspect, right? We would have tried to impress someone, some stage in our lives. Uh, for example, if you're going for a job interview. You would want to present well and make a good impression of yourself. You want to sell yourself. There's nothing wrong, I believe, in, uh, in, in doing everything possible to get that job, so long as you're not lying or anything like that. But you want to impress well to be able to get the job, because that is your aim, by God's grace, to get the job. 
Now in our Bible passage this morning, there's one guy trying to impress God. Have you ever tried to impress God? What would it take us to impress God? Just think about that this morning. What would you do to try and impress God? Well, we'll have a look at that in a moment. Now, by the passage this morning, Luke chapter 18, 9 to 14, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. One guy, the Pharisee, if you look at your Bibles, keep, please keep it open with me to that passage, tried to impress God. The other guy, well, he did not really try at all. And when you look at this parable, it is kind of easy to have a go at the Pharisee in this story, can't we? But this parable, I believe, friends, is more than the Pharisee and his prayer. It is more than the prayer of the tax collector as well. It is deeper than that. And the more I read this parable, and the more I kind of worked through this parable, I began to understand that it is deeper than the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. You see, Jesus was just speaking not just about the Pharisee and the tax collector. I believe that Jesus gives us a clue of what this parable is on about. And the clue is right here, I believe, in verse 9 of Luke 18, which I believe sets the context for the parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I think that's the setting of the parable. That's where it begins. Notice then that the parable is for anyone who trusts in themselves that they were righteous and therefore treated others with contempt. Now there's, brothers and sisters in Christ, friends here this morning, theirs was a misguided righteousness, essentially saying, I am good enough and I don't need God in my life. To think of one as righteous is to say, well, I am better than you. I look better than you. I have gone to a better school than you. I come from a great family than you. I live in such and such a place as opposed to you. I am of a better breed than you. Look at me. Because I am the measure of everything in this universe. It is having an attitude to put ourselves above others. It doesn't take much, does it, to do that? To put ourselves above others? It is looking down on everybody else. It is perhaps having an inflated ego or pride, and this can be shown in many ways. For example, we can look down on certain people groups based on their social economic status or race or culture. What about spiritual pride? We are never guilty of that. Yeah? Well, think about that for a moment. A holier-than-thou attitude. Have you ever had that problem? I'm a better Christian than you. I'm a holier person than you. I know my Bible better than you. You are just a little... Yeah, you're just walking along the way, but, but I've got it all made. Spiritual pride, a dangerous thing, isn't it? can become a dangerous problem for ministers as well. 
Because it's as if we've got it all made. Nonsense. I, I don't have it made at all. I'm a fellow struggler just as much as you are. In fact, the more I get to know Christ, the more I struggle with my old Christian life to, to honor and to serve this great God. The more I'm convicted of my own sin and my misery before God. The more it is the challenge of walking with Christ. This is spiritual pride. I'm more righteous than you. See, C.S. Lewis, uh, Lewis said this. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. How true is that? Huh? You cannot see anything above you. See, now we might be tempted to say, well, that's really not me. Is this really the case? Don't we struggle with selfish thoughts? Yeah? No one? Are, you, are your motives, are our motives always right? No. Have you ever looked down upon others? Never. I think we have. So this parable is addressed to those who trust in themselves. That they are righteous and they treat others with great contempt. So this morning, we're going to work our way through this parable under these three headings. I hope it is, it's kind of simple headings here. Two men, two prayers, two answers. Okay, so two men, two prayers, two answers. There are notes available. Uh, if you want a, a, a copy by email, people have asked me for previous notes. We will give it. John has got notes as well in his sermons. It's all available for you. Okay, two men. That's what we see here. Two men in this parable. Two men went up, look, look at verse 10, went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. These are the two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The parable tells us a lot about both men, I think. Tells us a lot about these two men. Let's look at the first man, the Pharisee. What is a Pharisee? What was the religion of the Pharisees? You see, the Pharisees were a sect that had arisen during the intertestamental period, that is, in response to the growing secularization of Israel. The intertestamental period is the time between the Old Testament book Malachi and the New Testament coming into that period, 400 odd years in that intertestamental period. And during this time, the nation of Israel came under the influence of the Greeks. And so the Pharisees did not want the culture of the Greeks to influence Israel and the worship of their God. And so they began to protest against such cultural influences. And they wanted to protect the nation of Israel coming under godly influence that would affect the people and how they worship God. And so they seemed to start off with excellent good intentions, just like we might do today. Uh, we want to protect God's people from the influences of our culture. They were in one way, in, 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 in one sense, the conservatives of the day. Now there is nothing wrong, I think, in being conservative and upholding godly values. But they were most zealous for the law of God and loved the law of God and the Ten Commandments. They kept the ceremonial laws. They washed their hands each time they went in and out. They tied their 10%. They fasted twice a week or even more. They knew large sections of the Bible and they would have passages on their wrists and sometimes on their robes. And they would read these passages. And so they knew the Old Testament Torah as it were. 
But then, friends, these guys, these Pharisees, they began to make man-made rules. And it was law without the gospel. For example, they made a law that people should pray seven times a day. They appeared to be a very prayerful people. And so they would go to the streets and stand on street corners and they would pray so that they would be a witness to others. And Jesus had a word for them, isn't it? Go into your room, shut the door and pray. You don't have to go and show everyone how pious you are standing on the street corners and praying. So we note in this parable that this man went into the temple to pray. The Pharisee looks around. He looks around. Just like we do. He looks around and what does he see? He sees a tax collector. Oh, oh, news for him. What's this guy doing here in this temple? He's this tax collector. The one who wants our money. Now we know, friends, have you done your tax returns for this year? You don't have to answer me, but I'm sure it's tax time, right? And some of us, maybe, you send all your papers to your accountant and he sends, he asks you documents and everything. I have an accountant, I send everything to him and say, just do it, it's all yours. Right? Um, and whatever we get, we get back. It's tax time and we don't really like giving money away because the tax man, the tax office is waiting and they're looking how much you earn and how much you've got to take out. But this tax collector was standing afar off. You see, in the time of Jesus, Israel had been conquered by the Romans and Jews had to pay taxes to the Roman government. And tax collectors were therefore employed by the Roman government. And they had the reputation of taking more than what was necessary and pocketing the balance. So hypothetically, if you had to pay $500 tax, for example, um, they would say it's 700 bucks. They take the 500 to the government, 200 bucks goes into their pockets. So therefore the Jews despised the tax collectors. There was a sense of animosity between them. And in the parable, a tax collector goes into the temple to pray. Notice. Now the tax collectors would not go, generally speaking, to the temple to pray. They felt excluded. How could such a sinner come into the temple courts? How could this guy get in there? What made him come into that place to pray? So we see two prayers. 11 and 12. Have a look, please. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And we see two prayers here, don't we? The prayer of the Pharisee, the prayer of the tax collector. Both prayers are verbalized. Perhaps he came in at about 3 o'clock, uh, sorry, about 9 a.m. in the morning or 3 in the afternoon. What does the Pharisee do? Well, he begins his prayer. Notice, he stood in his normal place, which is, uh, this is normal for them to stand. He separated himself from others, and he began thanking God. So far, so good. So far, so good. What did he thank God for? What did he thank God for? <laughs> you know, I was speaking with our kids this past week, and I said to them, kids, when we pray, when you pray, I want to encourage you to pray the Acts way. That is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Alright? You've probably heard that acronym, isn't it? Acts way. Because sometimes, even in my own prayers, and in our family prayers, we could have the tendency to go straight into S, into supplication. 
without actually beginning with adoration and confession of our sins to God and then thanking him for everything and then bringing our request to him. So this guy begins with thanksgiving. He begins to say, God, I thank you. So far, so good. But what does he say in that parable, friends? What does Jesus say? I thank you that I am not like other men. Wow, what a great start, eh? For a prayer. Lord, I thank you that I am not like that other woman. I am not like that other man. I am not like that young person. I am. That's what he starts. Begins his prayer by comparing himself with others. Wow, what a way. And if you notice carefully in this parable, the letter I comes up five times. I am this. I am that. I am not another. I fast twice. I give my tithes. So this prayer is all about who? Him. (laughs) This prayer is about him. His prayer is self-centered, is it not? He's boasting about himself. He's self-righteous. He's trusting in himself. He prays about himself. In one sense, as I studied this prayer, this guy actually prayed, I think, to himself. (laughs) He begins by telling God how good he is. And he does not come across his mind to thank God for a moment for preserving him from being an extortioner, from being an unjust person, from being an adulterer. No, he begins by thanking God by saying, I am better than the other. I am not like other men. God, you should be so pleased to have such a law-abiding person address you. So he begins by comparing. He compares himself with the sinner. He's a moralist, living a decent life. In today's context, you might say, well, I go to church faithfully by trying my best. I try my best. I live a decent life. I'm not like the other person. You see, this person tries to make the gospel out of the law and in the process becomes a legalist. You've got to watch when people become legalists because they put all kinds of laws, rules and regulations that's not in the gospel. The other extreme is to do anything you want, antinomianism, and say, well, I can live any way I want because God will forgive me. Paul says, no, no, no. Should you sin that grace may abound? No. You live in response to God's grace, right? Why am I obedient to Christ? Because of what Christ has done for me, correct? Why do I follow Jesus and want to love him? Is it by my strength? No, I want to follow the Lord and love him by his grace and by his spirit because of what he has done for me. Not because I can work my way and try to be a good person. A massive difference. Now look at this, this prayer, it's a self-glorification prayer, the tax collector. But the tax collector is standing way off, verse 13, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. And he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to say this, friends, that somehow we must see the hand of God upon this tax collector, and in some sense, God's moving of this man, To go to the temple to pray. This tax collector has heard God's word. How and when we don't know. But God's word had convicted him. And his conscience was bothering him. We all have a conscience, don't we? And we know that. When the conscience bothers us. This man needed help. His sin had bothered him. 
and he's overburdened by his own unworthiness, both in the sight of man and in the sight of God. So he goes away. He's further away from the place. He goes away from the temple courts. He doesn't even come close to the inner place of the temple courts. Why? Why? Because he sees his sin. He feels unworthy to come close to God. He did not even dare look up to heaven. He did not lift his eyes for he felt the burden of his sin. He somehow knew that God was holy. He was a broken man. And this is evident in that he beats his breast. You see, it was an ancient custom when you were in mourning with death that you would express this sorrow by beating your breast. That is, you would close your fist and you keep beating it. And sometimes in funerals, at the time, they would hire people to come along and to beat their breasts, as it were, to show the sorrow and the mourning. That's what we see here. This man, no one has died in his family. The, the beating of the chest at this time was to express sorrow. And his sorrow was a sign of mourning. And this tax collector had not lost any member of his family. Why was he mourning, friends? Why? You see, he was mourning for his sin against whom? Against whom? Against God. This text collector kept on beating his chest, condemning himself before God, the righteous one. There was great sorrow and he saw his sinfulness. His guilt was upon him and he knows that he has not been straight in his dealings with others. His sin was before him. He beats his chest and he cries out to God. He is unworthy. He comes with brokenness, with penitence, with repentance. Oh, what a picture that Jesus is giving us of this man in this parable. It's such a short parable, but it's so deep. He's far off from God. He stands guilty, unworthy, a sinner. He stands far off because of the wrath of God against sin. He had a deep sense of shame and misery in his heart. Do you have a sense of shame and misery in your heart with our sins? Or be proud about them? All he could do all he could do, and that's all he needed to do, was to cry to God. When is the last time, friends, that you and I came like a tax collector before God? When is the last time? When? I'm, I don't want an answer from you. I'm raising the question. When I say, when did you? I'm including myself. When did we come before this God? You say, when is the last time that you and I came like a tax collector before God with such an attitude? You might say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. So I don't need to come to God like this man. Really? Is there no sin in our hearts? Have we reached sinless perfection? Have you? We're having my morning tea afterwards. I'd like to have a chat with you to find out how you reached that sinless perfection. Give me the recipe. Give me the secret. I want to know it. You see, notice what he pleads for. The words, God be merciful to me, a a sinner. You see, first and foremost, he acknowledges God. He acknowledges mercy. And he acknowledges the fact that he's a sinner. And that's the problem, isn't it, with our society today? Sin. Don't you agree with me? Sin in my life. 
sin in yours, sin in the world. I was speaking to a couple this morning when I, uh, when I was on my, on my walk. And this couple uh, trying to engage them with the gospel. You know when you walk, you meet the walking clubbers. Sometimes they are the dog club and then the walking club. You meet all kinds of people. And this couple, I was talking to them this morning and they said to me, you know what? I said, what do you think about the world? I asked. This is at like early morning. I said, what do you think of the world? What do you think of Melbourne? Well, Chris, it's a troubled place, isn't it? And then she said, there were 11 shootings in the last month. I said, what do you think is wrong with the world? Well, there is no accountability. That's the problem. I hope to take the conversation a bit more further. There's no accountability. It's accountability for sin. The problem is sin. And so this man acknowledges that he is a sinner. To come to that point, friends, you and I need to acknowledge that we have sinned. Correct? Romans 3.23, as we will see in a moment, all have sinned. He says, I am... It's very interesting. In fact, the original, in fact, in the original, the, the letter A is not in the sentence. So it reads this way. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner, the sinner. I am the sinner. What a thing, eh? And he saw the depravity of his heart before God. And his conscience was affected. John Calvin said this, the great reformer, the torture of a bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. The torture of a bad conscience is the hell of a living soul. So this man, this sinner cries to God. He cries and he says, have mercy. God be merciful to me, the sinner. What a prayer. That was his prayer. That's all he said. It comes from the heart as opposed to the Pharisee. The point is that, friends, we cannot see the greatness of the Lord's mercy and grace until we know the bad news about who we are first. So the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first reading this morning. We have turned our backs on God. We say to him, I am not interested in you. That, just like the Pharisee was religious, but had no relationship with God. The tax collector was not religious, but by the grace of God, he sought a relationship with him. How about you this morning? Is there anyone here today who thinks of himself as or herself as religious? I am religious enough. <laughs> just about enough. To have my one foot in God's camp, the other foot with my own righteousness, and I am just about right. No, no, you're not just about right. Until you have come and cried to this God and said, oh God, I am the sinner. Have mercy on me, because without your mercy, I will be destroyed in your wrath. That's what we see here. And the answers, we have two answers, don't we? God hears the prayers of both of these men, verse 14. How God answers the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector is revealed, I believe, in 14a. I tell you, this man, what happened to him? He went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God hears the prayers of both. He looks at the hearts of both these men. 
the Pharisee went away unjustified because he trusted in his inherent righteousness. The tax collector, on the other hand, did not. He saw his sin, confessed, and cried to God for mercy. The tax collector had true saving faith. The Pharisee only lip service. He was religious. He justified himself. The tax collector, on the other hand, confessed that he was unjustified, and he went home justified. You see, what does it mean to be justified? Did you know, today we are on the 1st of November, right? How many days more for Christmas? I don't... Well, you do the maths. Very soon. But yesterday, 31st of October, is a very significant day in the life of the church. Anyone here? What is it? What was it? What is, the, what is this weekend called in some churches? Called the Reformation Weekend, right? Reformation Weekend. We think about it. The Reformation took place on the 31st. All, all PTC students here, you guys, you should know this, right? <laughs> I see Jesse smiling. Uh, Jesse, you, you, you know this, right? This is the Reformation that took place on the 15th of October, 1517. The rediscovery of this doctrine of justification in Christ alone, by faith alone, the great solas of the scriptures, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fidei, faith alone, sola Christos, Christ alone. Sola gratia, grace. You see, the five solas of the Reformation, justification was one of that. We think about Martin Luther, 15, 31st October 1517, when he nailed those 95 theses. And I was reading an article about this uh, just this past week in preparation for this talk. And uh, one of the writers says, you know, justification, we think about Martin Luther. But the author put it quite well. He said, it's not about just Martin Luther. It's about the word of God that brought about the Reformation. And so it moved away from inherent righteousness that says we are good in and of ourselves to a righteousness that is in Christ. Do we see that? It is a righteousness. So we have Martin Luther. We have Zwingli later in Zurich in Switzerland. We have Martin Busser, great, great theologian in, in Strasbourg in, in Germany. And then we have finally the great Reformation uh, theologian. Who's that? In Geneva, Switzerland. Anyone? John Calvin, right? The great reformer. You see, brothers and sisters, the reformation was all about justification. How can I be made right with God? That's the question I want to address very briefly with you this morning. Because justification means I am not standing in my own righteousness. Correct? Because my righteous deeds, as Isaiah says, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But to be justified is to be declared right with God. Once and for all. It is a forensic term. It is a legal declaration. Where God declares a sinner righteous. That is what we might call also in theological terms double imputation. That is my sin placed to Christ. And his righteousness imputed to me. So that when I stand before this God. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And God sees me as his child. Not with my own works, but because of Christ. Do you see that? And what a blessing that is. That I can come before this God. That you can come before this God. 
And we can cry out to this God. God be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't have to do any works to come be right with you. I have to put my faith, my trust in you. And you forgive me my sin. You cleanse my heart. You cleanse my conscience. And you use me for your glory. Ah! Phew! Isn't that liberating? That's the gospel. See, the moment a person has authentic faith in Christ, all that is necessary for salvation becomes theirs by virtue of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And friends, there is no sinner too great to receive mercy. There is mercy for anyone who speaks, who cries out for mercy. And God says in his word, this parable, you'll be exalted for everyone. Verse 14b, the psalmist says, For though the Lord is high and he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, both says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How about you this morning? Proud? Or are you humble? Have you come to this God? To say, Lord, God, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Or you come to God and say, wow, you should be so pleased, God, that I'm even praying to you. What a good guy I am. What a good woman I am. Wow, I should be so pleased. God looks at the heart, you know. Man can look at the outside and make judgments. But God looks at the heart. He looks at the motives of the heart. And the heart that cries out to him, he reaches out, touches, and takes a cold heart and makes it a heart of flesh for him. That is grace. That is grace. Do you know this God this morning? And to those of us who know him, if you don't know Christ today, Please come and see John, myself, or anyone else here after the service. We would love to talk with you about the gospel. Make your commitment to Jesus. Because you just don't know, friends, what will happen around the corner, do you? We just don't even know that we'll be here next week, do you? I'm not trying to scare anyone here. It's a fact of life. I hear about death that comes suddenly. I hear stories. I hear about stuff that even just this morning... You see, that's life. And only the mercy of God will get you to heaven. Correct? When you get to heaven, you're going to say, Oh, God, you should be so pleased to have me in heaven. Look at me, man. Heaven will be a great place with me in your kingdom. No, no, won't work. Only with Jesus. God will say, come into your rest. Come into my rest. Because I see you in my son Jesus. That is liberating. That is grace. That is the power of God. The profound working of the spirit of God. That brings us from lostness to grace. So brothers and sisters in Christ. A heart that has been justified with God now. Or has been justified years ago. Says, God be merciful to me the sinner. Such a heart will be able to say, and I close with these words, 
such a heart would be able to say, There but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, speak to us, Lord. You know our hearts, you know our battles, you know our struggles. We thank you that today there is room for the Pharisee to come to you. To those of us who know you as well, Lord, let us keep on coming to you, crying out for your mercy to me, the sinner. O Lord, refresh us with your grace. And if there is anyone here today who does not know Jesus, may such a person come to you. To those of us who know Christ, Lord, keep us humble always, for we have nothing to boast about. O merciful God, have mercy upon us. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, that he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that we sinners can be rescued and given new life, reconciled to the Father, justified in Jesus, through faith in Christ alone. Amen.